the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 322. Uh, today, my guest is uh, Simeon Burnett. Welcome along to the show, Simeon. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Now, uh, you're with Snowball Effect. Just um, tell us a little bit where, about where Snowball Effect sort of you know fits into the, the I guess, the tech startup world uh, here in New Zealand. Yes. Uh, well, uh, Snowball Effect, we've been around for about two and a half years. Um, we're a marketplace for capital, so we provide both investors and companies option for investment and for raising capital. So we provide companies the option to raise equity capital, so we're not focused on debt. So they're selling shares. Uh, and basically the two options we provide them is these are to raise directly from the public. Um, and they can do that via our platform. Um, so investors can come and directly visit the website, choose to make an investment. Sure. Um, so they're signing all the legal documents, you know, going through all the necessary checks online. Uh, or companies can provide uh, their offer privately to investors. Um, so there's different regulatory regimes that both those offers operate under, which is probably something for, for later in the show. But, yeah, I oh, will um, look forward to yeah, diving in and, um, and hearing a little bit more about how, how it works and, yes. uh, um, yeah, the technologies and so on. You rely on b- behind it. Sounds um, good. but let, let's jump in. Um, so this week, in terms of, uh, local things happening, well, there's, um, there's Tech Week 17, which is going on. Mm. And, you know, this is some of the, that's really, uh, it's really grown. There's events really, uh, up and down the country. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will have already been out and about and, um, you know, and, and have been to some of those, um, really good opportunities for, uh, for networking and, and really just, you know, connecting with what's happening in the, in the tech world. Um, now you've been involved with an event. You're sponsoring an event. Yes, yeah, so we're sponsoring an event tonight, uh, which is in Parnell, uh, level two. It's called, uh, which is actually uh, the lab that the likes of uh, Rocket Lab, uh, Lanzatech, and more recently companies like Breathe Easy uh, and Dotteral, which is a, a, dr- a drone noise reduction company, uh, they've sort of spawned out of there. Uh, so that's very much a high tech space. Uh, but some really interesting stuff, some really innovative stuff. Uh, so level two is all about, I guess, celebrating what has taken part there and I guess looking to the future uh, about what sorts of companies that they hope to grow out of uh, what arguably would, would have to be one of New Zealand's most successful incubators. Mm. Um, so that's going to be really interesting to be involved with. It'll be cool to see who's there. And like you say, we're a sponsor. We've worked with a couple of the companies before. We've worked with Breathe Easy which is a cystic fibrosis uh, medication or treatment. So that was actually a public raise that we did. Um, so members of the public could invest in that one. And the other one was Dotteral, uh, which is, I say, the noise, uh, the drone noise reduction company. And we've done a bit of work with them just in a private placement. So, yeah, looking forward to that tonight. Um, mm. And as you say, a lot of really cool stuff on around the country with, with Tech Week. So, yeah, great to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to see this thing, uh, you know, has, has grown pretty quickly. And, um, you know, I think it was, um, uh, when I first heard about it was, um, AT, you know, here in Auckland. Mm. But now when you, when you have a look, they've, you know, sponsors sort of, um, you know, councils up and down the, the, the country, um, are involved. So it's, it really is a, a nationwide, uh, thing now, which is great. 
Yeah, that's right. And it's good for it to sort of get out of the, the main centres, or particularly Auckland and Wellington. Yeah. You can get down south, and um, you know, there's plenty of enthusiasts down there. So it's so good that they get exposed to it as well. Yeah. Now on to um, a, a, another local story that's been um, a, attracting a fair, a fair bit of uh, debate out there over the last few days, which is um, Sky TV. Mm. And, uh, you know, here, here in New Zealand we've had this... Um, you know, scenario where we've got one company we can, uh, we, you know, we could traditionally, uh, you know, pay for, uh, for content, one pay TV provider. Now, of course, that whole, um, world is, has really been, you know, flipped on its head to a big degree in terms of content over the last few years with, uh, the likes of Netflix and Lightbox and Quickflix and, you know, other things that have ended up, uh, landing, landing in the market. But, uh, when it comes to sport, here in New Zealand, um, you know, Sky still has the, um, you know, a, a pretty strong hold on it. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the big news last week was that their, uh, their fan pass, um, that they were, you know, dropping their daily, weekly passes. Uh, I think they'd even been doing some, um, you know, some Friday de- deals. I think it was $15 for a week, uh, for a day pass, $20 for a, a week pass. Mm. Uh, but they were sometimes doing these, you know, Friday ones for $5. Uh, those have all been scrapped and, uh, the, the price of the, uh, uh, the monthly has gone up from, uh, I think around 60 bucks up to, uh, up to a hundred dollars. Yes. Um, so, Rather, uh, rather interesting. Although one thing that I noticed wasn't mentioned in all the the media releases was that if you go and buy six months of Fan Pass, uh, I think it's about three hundred fifty dollars. So it actually comes in maybe slightly cheaper than what it was before. But unless you're willing to commit to uh, um, that six month period and uh, and and pay for it up front, then uh, it's quite a big hike, isn't it? It is a big hike, and I guess you know. Uh, a slightly slightly cheaper six month pass doesn't make quite the headlines, does it? Um, no. Of more expensive shorter passes, and be interesting to know kind of what the distribution of of users across those, like how many are, are six months versus one week or a um, a month or whatever it might be. Um, but yes, you know I'm a I'm a subscriber to to Sky Sport, um, and have been for a while. I guess sort of more focused on traditional rugby and cricket. Um, so yeah, we'll have some decisions to make on how we utilise that over the next little while. Mm. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how all the space unfolds. Um, Sky, you know, you know, I guess the public have kind of said, "Hey, Sky, you're, you're dragging the chain here in terms of uh, the way you operate, and even just some of the recent live events, such as what Juco have been doing with the boxing and that sort of thing that's ended up on Facebook and people live streaming it." Um, pretty the, hard, the, pretty hard to stop that stuff, isn't it? it I mean, is. they're, 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 they're working pretty hard, but they, they end up making such a big noise about it. Um, well, it only draws attention that, to that, it, that it, draw, it, draw, it? Yeah, I think it does. It yeah. draw, draws attention to, oh, there's a, there's another way of doing this stuff. That's right. Yeah. yeah, sort of inevitable. But I guess it'll be interesting over the next year or two to see what happens with Sky. Mm. Um, and I guess more importantly from a sports perspective, I think it's 2020 that, um, there's a tender again for the different packages that are available with, I think it's rugby and, and probably some of the other sports. Mm. Uh, so what happens there and, you know, who will be participating in that tender, you know, could be pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, do you consume a lot of, um, online content, the likes of Netflix and so on in your home or, or is, or is it mostly through, through your sky onto a traditional TV? How do you, yeah. how do you do it? I must say, I don't actually watch a lot of TV. It's sort of, 
uh, you have a young business and you're, you're pretty focused on that. Absolutely. Uh, and sort of come the weekends and now I guess I watch a bit of the rugby um, or go and catch a movie or something like that. So I don't mm. watch heaps of movies, mm. um, but I, I do watch a bit of Netflix every now and again. Yeah. Um, and certainly my partner, um, she watches quite a bit just through the various online channels. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, as I say, I think the days of sort of the decoder and all that sort of stuff, um, we're in, in the final final years or months of that, aren't we? So. Mm. Yeah, I think I think it'll be pretty interesting to see sort of where we do land a few years out, and you know there are, there are certainly uh, you know some um, sporting codes, particularly when when you look at the US, where you're able to you know buy buy direct, right? Yes. And so there have been those discussions. Look, will uh, will we be able to buy something direct from um, New Zealand Rugby in terms of look, we'll, we'll buy a subscription with them. Uh, you know, no doubt they would, they would, you know, outsource all the, uh, all the lifting, um, yeah, to a company like New Line who, um, who Sky are already using something like that, that, that has all the technology and the bits and pieces. And then you transact directly with them rather than adding in another layer of a Sky. Yes. Um, so I think that it will be interesting to see actually how these things land a few years out or whether what we'll see is maybe going the other way and it more, more going on a global basis. Um, so, you know, for instance, you know, Amazon now, you can buy all sorts of extras from them. You buy your, uh, in the US, certainly you buy your Amazon Prime subscription. Mm. Uh, you get access to a whole lot of, a whole lot of content. Um, but then you can, you can, you can add things on. And then we've just seen Hulu in the last, uh, um, in the last few days. Uh, you know, go from their traditional streaming service to now where, where they have something that, uh, effectively competes with the traditional, uh, you know, cable TV or, you know, I guess satellite sort of sky type offering in New Zealand, uh, where, you know, you can pay, I think it's something like an extra US 20 or so a month on top of your standard subscription and you get access to sort of, yeah, 50 or so, uh, live channels and it's all delivered over, you know, over IP to, to whatever um, you know, gadget that you happen to be streaming through. Yes. Um, so it's, I think, yeah, it's a interesting uh, few 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 years ahead. That's right. Yeah. And I was at group recently, and I don't follow the English Premier League, so um, hence uh, the reason I can't remember who they were. But they were providing a source of uh, coverage of the English Premier League, and you could go and I think you could buy packages for the team that you're following. So if you follow Manchester United or whatever, you could buy a package that. Um, Covered their games. Um, I can't remember who they were, but they yeah, were of, the, could the, have been a bit ahead of their time, just in terms of how they were trying the to Premier League pass that you could uh, you could buy. Yeah, um, and and that's interesting. And I'm kind of curious, yeah, how how that that will shake down, or or do you get somebody, you know, a big player, and maybe it's a you know maybe it's Netflix uh, or Amazon who just uh, you know as part of their offering. They sign, you know, they're, they're big enough to, um, you know, they could sign up sport as a, uh, as an add on, uh, type offering on top of what they do. Mm. And, you know, so much venture backing and, and so on that they can, uh, you know, so much funding they can basically go and do what they want. And of course, at, you know, we, we've seen, uh, you know, Netflix come into markets like New Zealand and Australia and just completely, you know, dominate, have, you know, five or 10 times the market share of, uh, you know, of their, their next competitor, um, so they just carry so much weight, uh, you know, 
you know, regardless of whether they've got a much smaller content catalog here in New Zealand as they have elsewhere in, in the world. Mm. Um, so there, there is something to be said for those bigger brands. I don't know whether it would, uh, deliver the best results for consumers though. No, that's um, right. And, you know, you've even seen sort of Spark do a bit of stuff in that space, haven't you? And um, so it'd be interesting, you know, what their strategy is longer term. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so one other topic we'll move on to now. Um, now this is this isn't so uh, local, um, but Microsoft. Um, moment, I'm using their uh, their Surface Pro actually, um, but they've now announced their new Surface product, which is a, a Surface laptop. And what I find interesting about this is is when Microsoft launched their their previous two products, the Surface Pro uh, and their Surface Book. They were launching products that were very different to what what else uh, was out there in, in the market. Sort of, um, I you know, I guess saying, look, we're not con- we're not competing with HP and Lenovo and 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 all their other uh, partners. Um, but here, what they've done with the uh, Surface Laptop is produce something that I guess is much uh, much closer to what. Um, you know, their partners have, have been offering because there, there's certainly lots of uh, laptops out in the market. Although when you compare their product, um, you can also see that maybe, maybe their direct competition, um, is seen as being, as being Apple and, you know, coming up with a real premium, um, uh, you know, product that would, would be designed to be able to take a little bit of market share away from Apple. Um, but a pretty interesting announcement. Um, so I think we'll see, we're seeing a, a launch price here in New Zealand about $1,600 for this laptop or, you know, thousand US dollars. Um, but it comes with, um, a cut down version of Windows 10, Windows 10 S. And the, the S version of Windows is one that, um, Allows you to only run apps that have gone through their, you know, through Microsoft's um, uh, app store, um, which is a, a rather interesting strategy because then they also allow you to upgrade it for free to the, the pro version of Windows. So it's a, it seems like a little bit of a game, a little bit of a marketing ploy to, yep. uh, uh, to encourage, uh, developers to take their traditional Windows apps and just push them through and make them available in their, uh, in their store. Now you're, Predominantly a Mac user, is that right? These days, a Mac user, yeah, yeah, that's that's what the, the team are on by and large. Yeah, um, I guess we've just sort of followed, like followed the crowd a little bit and sort of fallen into the the Mac trap, if you like, where you just sort of everything around you kind of um, is either Apple or Mac, and you know you're away. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, when I was at Fonterra, sort of up until the end of 2015, it was all Microsoft. So a bit of a transition period for me. The sort of pretty normal caught up corp- with the young corporate, guys, corporate world, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, but I enjoy I enjoy Mac, mm. and I must say that um, as long as it turns on and off, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't call myself a, a high tech user, um, but it, it works well for what we need to do. Mm-hmm. We we just had a you know, little bit of a look at uh, yeah Microsoft's uh, launch video. I mean, mm. it looks like they're launching pretty uh, pretty slick gear, but it's it is an interesting maneuver in that uh, you know basically you've got all these manufacturers that are that are making gear to run Microsoft's operating system um, to a lesser extent uh, at the moment. There you know those same vendors are making uh, are making low you know predominantly low cost laptops to run uh, uh, to run Google's Chrome OS. Um, and this is quite interesting in that they've come in with a, 
you know, a pretty slick laptop. It's not the, you know, not the high end for laptops in terms of the starting price point, but it's, uh, you know, I guess it, it sort of competes with the likes of the MacBook and the MacBook, uh, uh, Air in terms of, you know, build and, and styling and so on. Um, uh, but then they're sort of shipping out a, um, uh, an operating system that seems aimed at sort of the education market and kids and so on. Yeah, I guess, you know, it'd be interesting to understand a little bit more about why entry into the market now um, rather than, you know, some time ago because, you know, there was a lot of stuff um, out there now, um, obviously very price competitive. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it'd just be interesting to know that. I'm not sure if you've seen sort of stuff sort of in print or, or around the place that's talking yeah, about that. Well, it's interesting. So with the with the announcement of, uh, of you know, Windows, this Windows uh, 10S, which, you know, I imagine is, and, and I haven't seen anything confirming it, is will either be free or, or very close to free for uh, for hardware manufacturers to include uh, with a laptop. You know, maybe, maybe it's a, you know, $10 US sort of price that, that they pay to uh, to license it. Um, but we've seen announcement, I think HP, uh, maybe Acer, but th- there's a bunch of companies that, uh, will be, and, and we've already seen the initial announcements come through, are launching, um, and we've seen the term cloud book before, but they'll, they'll come with this version of Windows at a, uh, at a, you know, around a $200 US, uh, well, I think probably 299 US type price point, but we always see those sort of fall down. You end up with ones around the $200, um, price point. So there, there's certainly a range of products that are coming in there that are going to compete directly with what, uh, what Google are doing with their low cost, uh, uh, Chromebooks, which, um, you know, primarily when you're buying one of those, you're, you're just paying for the, you know, for the hardware and uh, and a, little, uh, yeah, a small bit of warranty and so on, but they're not yeah. they're not high end machines, and uh, um, yeah, they're they're nothing to get too excited about, but they're very accessible for uh, uh, you know certainly for kids and students, and um, yeah, we've been seeing um, you know a level of interest in the government and, and business sector in those machines. Cool. It's, um, it's 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 yeah. It's I guess um, you know it's good to see there being plenty of competition in terms out out there. Good for the and, consumer. Uh, you know, as we're seeing, um, uh, you know, Microsoft and 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 Apple and uh, and and Google continuing to sort of uh, um, you know butt butt heads in various spaces. It uh, it seems to be delivering. Um, you know, I think yeah, good results for everyone. So yeah. Um, now, last week we saw some news come through um, late in the week leading up to the French election um, about a, a mass of uh, email leaks and, um, you know, a, um, a hacking attack um, that appeared to be designed to disrupt the uh, uh, French presidential uh, campaign, um, which was was kind of interesting, considering um, yeah what what we'd seen go on in the in the US and uh, you know supposed uh, tampering and uh, uh, and so on there and you know the possibility that maybe that had impacted um, the the results of the election yes um, but I guess what was curious about this was it seemed to be very very late in the game. Very close to the election, and so we heard about it. You know, I think pretty pretty late um, 
in in the week. I mean, it was it was probably only a day or or so ahead of the election, and then the election was done, and it and it didn't impact the uh, um, the the results at all. But still, pretty worrying that we're seeing this sort of thing go on, and you know, potentially, you know, one hacking incident that that could um, you know have a pretty massive impact. Uh, on not just a country, but a but a you know, but a region, because obviously with Brexit and what's going on in Europe, um, you know, a change here could certainly help lead to sort of a breakup of um, uh, of the EU. Right? It's uh, it's pretty major stuff. Yeah, that's right. And I think you know, sort of in terms of that timing, whether it was deliberate to uh, you know really reduce the amount of response time that there was around. What was distributed, and you obviously get those swing voters that will come in and and vote um, based on potentially how they're feeling on the day or what they've read over the last few days, mm. um, and make their decision at the poll. So, you know, it's sort of interesting across the board. I think how technology is starting to really influence and play a role in elections. Um, I saw something come into Mimbox today, and I haven't read it yet, but you know, it was talking about how big data. Or they believe big data has been used in the US um, to really influence some of the decisions that have been made there. And so, you know, I think the way that elections have been run for goodness knows how long, um, you know, it'll be interesting to, to see if uh, different groups, um, different countries, regions start to revisit that mm. because, mm. you know, there is so much targeting of, of what people are seeing, the information they're getting. Um, through things like social media and all that sort of stuff where, you know, incredibly clever technology um, can really influence the stuff that you're you're turning your mind to and, and reading on a daily basis. Yeah, well, I think it definitely comes into play, uh, you know, as, as part of um, election campaign strategies, you know, very much drawing on, on a lot of data and particularly in um, – in places like the US, where there's so much money that gets funneled into this mm. uh, this this stuff, um, you, you know, you drop uh, you know hacking in there, which you know sometimes isn't necessarily a very expensive thing to achieve, uh, and potentially can uh, can just you know flick flick results. Uh, and I guess we've you know we've seen a, a degree of it here in New Zealand uh, in terms of you know leak, leaked emails and. Uh, uh, and things around uh, was it the the dirty politics. Yes, Nicky um, Hager. Yeah, so um, you know we we we've seen elements of uh, um, of that that sort of thing here too. And you know, I guess you know my pick is you know what we'll see is that you know governments taking cybersecurity much more seriously, and we've certainly seen that uh, you know here in New Zealand and. Uh, I think we'll continue to see issues. So, you know, we could have an interesting time ahead here, uh, here in New Zealand being an election year, uh, in terms of, you know, what, what, what things actually, uh, happen. And, you know, I, I imagine that, um, you know, there's a fair bit of information that probably isn't, still isn't locked down maybe as well as it should do, should be, but, uh, we're probably a fair few steps of, of where we were in, in terms of, government's own cyber security from uh you know from three or four years ago yeah you know elections in new zealand are, are generally fairly mundane things by comparison to other parts of the world mm. so yeah it'll be interesting to see as you say what happens you know um, six months three months out from the election mm. what mm. starts to get dragged through the media and are uh, revealed at particular times 
Um, but you know, so it's a just incredibly fast moving, changing world with respect to that kind of data security, isn't it? Yeah. Information security. It, it is. And, um, I mean, you know, interesting, you know, crosses into all of our, our spaces and certainly the, you know, the, the tech startup where we see, you know, little companies coming from nothing and, um, you know, they can, they can get on, on, on people's radars, of course, but, as smaller firms and, and, you know, that's, you know, predominantly what we have here in New Zealand, uh, have that challenge of, well, you know, how do we know if what we're doing is right? Uh, you know, off, often, um, you know, IT is, uh, you know, is treated sort of quite casually and, 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 you know, it's, it's pretty common actually to hear, you know, hear from people saying, oh, well, you know, our information doesn't matter or, oh, there's nothing confidential here. Mm. I don't know how many times over the years I've heard that, but, you know, when you're interacting with a business that's, you know, that's been hit in some sort of major way, um, yeah, often their, uh, their tune changes, uh, you know, reasonably quickly. Um, so it's, um, uh, it's, you know, it's definitely something that I think is, uh, is pretty, pretty important to, uh, to be, you know, keeping on, um, on our radars. Um, now, um, Elon Musk seems to be a, a, a name that keeps, uh, keeps coming up in the news recently. Mm. He seems to, uh, um, keep having interesting things going on. Um, so I was, you know, sort of thinking, oh, what, is, what is it this week when I saw a, another headline about, uh, SpaceX? Uh, but this one, uh, interested me and, uh, you know, it's something, I think, um, you know, initial info came out about this, uh, at least last year, maybe even earlier. Um, the idea that, um, SpaceX is interested in launching, um, satellites into a, into a lower earth orbit, uh, to deliver broadband around the world. Um, but there's been a bit more information that, uh, that, that came out, uh, in the last few days and, the bits that interested me is that they're talking about a constellation uh, of uh, over 4,000 satellites, which I think at, at the moment I, I read somewhere that uh, um, right now they're uh, under, f- they, the estimate is that there's under 1,500 operating satellites uh, around the globe right now. So, yeah, they're, they're talking about, um, you know, multiplying that by, uh, uh, by about four, uh, four times. Um, so, you know, quite a, quite a big addition. And, uh, the other thing is the, um, the altitude they're, they're talking about, um, which is about a thousand or eleven hundred to thirteen hundred, uh, kilometers up. Um, is, is a huge, um, you know, contrast to some of what's out there at the moment in terms of, um, s- satellites, which can be, um, you know, 30 times that in terms of their, their distance, um, from, from the earth. And so the huge difference that makes is at the moment, if you're using, uh, satellite broadband and, you know, there'll be probably, um, you know, some of our listeners around the country, who that's how they get their broadband because they're in a remote location and and uh, maybe can't get access to 4G so that's kind of that's how you get your connectivity um but the problem with it at the moment is with those sorts of distances there's a huge latency so things where you want to do something uh real time uh, you know a voice call a video call um gaming 
uh, etc., is uh, you know is really hampered because you're dealing with um, um, you know half a, half a second or more in terms of latency, which isn't isn't ideal. And uh, some of the figures that that we were uh, that were shared were. Uh, you know, talks of, of latency in the 25 to 35 millisecond range, which is, uh, um, you know, uh, say a 30th or a 40th of a, of a second, which, um, mm. you know, for, uh, for lots and lots of things would be, um, would be just fine. Yeah. I think sort of having a conversation with someone, you could probably handle that, couldn't you? Yeah. 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 And you just sort of think like the most obvious, um, probably the most useful use of it. Is obviously just communication, um, being mm. able to to have dialogue, whether it be for business reasons, family reasons, mm. whatever. Um, you know, incredibly handy and incredibly powerful. And um, so, you know, for a lot of those regions that are that are far more remote, um, but for whatever reason, you know, there are people there that need to communicate with others mm. um, and communicate long distances. Um, you know, you can think of a number of reasons where you know, that improves their, their life and what they're trying to do remarkably well. Yeah, I, you know, I think so. You know, I think of uh, Cook Islands where, where I was a few days ago and, you know, they've got this, you know, big satellite dish in, uh, in the middle of Rarotonga that links them up to the outside world. But, you know, of course, everything is, is going through that uh, is going through that uh, connection. And, yeah, you've got the, the big the big delay uh, types of challenges, Um You've got, uh, yeah, I guess there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be too many, um, individuals that would have their own dedicated connection. They'd be, you know, hanging off that in some way, yeah. either mobile network, Wi-Fi and so on. Um, you know, but I, I imagine if, um, you know, if SpaceX is wanting to put that many satellites up there, um, they would be they would really be be looking to bring on a pretty big uh, customer base as well. So, you know, I think I think um, I'd like to see more data on this. And you know, we don't have the full story yet. But when we look out a few years, we've got uh, you know gigabit um, fiber coming to uh, you know eighty five uh, percent of our population in New Zealand. Then we've got uh, you know what is, is sort of four G. Um, moving in the direction of 5G networks coming. Um, and then, you know, the idea of, um, uh, the satellite. And, uh, they're talking about launching them from, uh, SpaceX's, uh, Falcon 9, uh, rocket initially, uh, beginning in 2019. So only a couple of years away. And the idea of actually having, um, having full capacity by 2024. So we're not talking, uh, too far, too far out. And then, of course, we've got Google with their Google Loon, their balloons and, uh, you know, a bunch of other things going on. So, um, yeah, it really does seem as though that the world where we have ubiquitous internet actually, um, is, it is becoming more and more of a reality, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, it's always surprised me, you know, living in New Zealand where you would hope that your, your coverage and your internet connectivity is is top class, but I remember sort of back in it must have been late two thousand, so like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, mm. um, in India and being sort of up by the the Pakistani border, and there were these guys on camels um, that had better coverage 
um, than you'd have on Queen Street in Auckland. And they were sort of talking away to their mates and were able to, to phone our mates back in New Zealand. Wow. And it was as easy as sort of, you know, this conversation that we're having now in terms of yep. the ability to dial in. And, mm. you know, places like India, this is back when you'd pay per minute or something for, for your phone call. But yep. it was so cheap anyway. It was just yeah. so remarkably cheap. Well, it's it's interesting, you know. We've seen, um, yeah, marks India and China and uh, Africa and, and other places where where in in certain regions they've just bypassed the whole concept of a you know, physical connection. That's right. Uh, you know, for calls and for internet, and it's gone straight to mobile. And and where you've got a, a you know a big population base, uh, you can end up with some uh, some pretty competitive. Uh, offerings, right? And, um, it, it was interesting. And, you know, again, looking at Cook Islands, um, yeah, I paid $50 for, for a tourist SIM card there and it gave me three gigs worth of data, which, you know, from, from what I saw, that was the cheapest way to buy three gigs worth of data. You could pay the, the same and get three gigs over Wi-Fi and there was Wi-Fi in a lot of places. Um, but actually they, they've just rolled out, uh, 4, 4G plus or, you know, some people call it 4.5G. So, you know, the, the, the connectivity was, you know, was exceptional, yes. uh, where you were in coverage there. Um, but, you know, they bundled in with it, you know, X minutes and X texts. And, um, you know, I was sort of curious in terms of, well, what's this going to cover? Is this going to be local? Is it going to cover maybe local and New Zealand calls? No, it was just worldwide. You know, you could, that the you know it didn't matter where you were calling, um, so uh, yeah, I thought oh yeah that's and that and that's certainly I think you know where we're where we're heading with things like you know voice and and text messages where those things will you know probably you know ultimately won't be won't be measured in most plans and and it won't actually matter where where you're calling right because no. uh, it's it's using the internet to get there uh, anywhere although you know we still have some markets where. Uh, uh, where there are challenges, and I, you know, I guess um, uh, the Cook Islands quite an interesting place. If 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 you're not the local uh, uh, provider in terms of what they're willing to sign in terms of uh, roaming deals for people, so uh, my fifty dollars sim uh, to go out and buy that much data on my roaming plan would have cost me ten thousand um, dollars. So um, yeah, not not quite the uh, the ideal uh, situation. No, yeah, I mean, it's, so much has changed so quickly. I sort of. Think back to when I was at Otago University, so this was sort of uh, 2005 it probably was, uh, where you're still paying 20 cents per text. I remember Vodafone introduced this promotion where it was like free text Saturday mornings or something like that. Yeah. And everyone was sort of madly texting each other just basically because it was free. Yeah, okay. Um, but you kind of think, you know, 10 years later, 15 years later, the world's moved on quite a bit from then, hasn't it? Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, and, 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 yeah, we have seen some good things happen, happen, um, you know, through, for instance, Commerce Commission type channels and so on, um, you know, where they've addressed stuff in terms of calling in to connect, uh, charges and texting and, and, and so on. We, you know, we've landed in a place, um, which, you know, probably ultimately has helped the telcos because other, you know, New Zealand, we probably have a reasonably low uptake of things like WhatsApp compared to, um, some other markets because texting is, you know, on, on uh, probably most plans is basically free. That's right. Um, but you know, other markets you go to, everything happens over something like WhatsApp. You know, it's happening over the internet, um, because of the high cost of sending an SMS mm. and so on. Um, so yeah, I know when, when I travel and, you know, people are expecting to use WhatsApp, um, or, or, or Messenger and so on, um, 
yeah, I, I totally get it, but there's not as much of a pressure for us to uh, to need to do that in uh, in New Zealand. Um, now, one other story that I thought was uh, was interesting that um, that I that I saw something about was um, around a something that looks looks actually looks like the old uh, NASA uh, space shuttle, and um, they, they call it a space plane and. Um, it had just landed back in the U.S., built built by Boeing um, for the U.S. Air Force, and um, it's called the X-37B uh, orbital test vehicle, and um, it returned to um, Kennedy Space Center um, on Sunday and had been up in, um, um, up in orbit for 718 days. You may have heard of this thing. I'd never heard of it before. Just one of those things. Obviously, got a, a tiny little bit of coverage here and there. But um, yeah, I just, I just thought it was, it was pretty interesting that there's this looks like a space shuttle. It's actually been around for a few, a few years. Doing some reading on it. Um, you know, NASA originally funded it, and then you know decided it wasn't, wasn't their, uh, wasn't their thing. So uh, the Air Force have, have taken it over. So this is not a NASA, NASA initiative. It's, um, it's a military initiative now, um, and it spent something like over two thousand days um, up in space over, um, uh, over you know, over four missions and. Um, it's like, hmm. I, I wonder what the new U.S. military are up to with this stuff. Yeah, had had no idea that that was happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah. Chatting to one or two other people, they seem to be in a in a similar boat. So, yeah. um, was it just sort yeah. of data collection? Was that sort of the the brief? Well, they, they, well, they they won't they won't uh, they won't say too much. But uh, you know, basically up there for uh, yeah about two years continuously, which is like, hmm. I, yeah, I didn't know we had any. Spacecraft that were that were up there and uh, and returning to Earth, um, um, yeah, but but a whole lot smaller. And apparently, um, in in a, in the old um, um, NASA uh, space shuttles, you would have been able to fit uh, three of these in their in their cargo hold. So you know, considerably uh, considerably smaller. Um, but still, pretty uh, pretty fascinating because I had no idea we had uh, we had that sort of thing going on. Absolutely, been, you know, watching um, you know what um, uh, SpaceX have been doing, and uh, um, you know a, 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 a few a few other ones. Um, yeah, so kind of kind of kind of curious, but it's um, it's yeah, I think. I would say generally pretty positive seeing what's going on in space, but when 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 there's a military aspect to it, I guess you know you hope that they're uh, um, they're just keeping up with the play on how they would uh, how they would avoid a uh, nuclear war if if um, you know North Korea or someone was to get ha- carried away that they've got the technology to uh, you know shoot it down or something. <laughs> so uh, yeah, all right. Well, that's um, that's our other tech stories. Um, I'm keen to jump in and um, get an update from you on on you know what's happening at, at, at Snowball Effect. You gave us a little intro at the beginning, um, but yeah, I mean I think it's the, f- the first time on tech podcast. I mean we've certainly spoken about Snowball Effect. Uh, in the past, you know, a num- number of times, and uh, um, I've tried your platform out, um, and uh, yeah, it, it seemed to work pretty well. But uh, yeah, keen to get a, a bit of an update on you know what you've been working on these last uh, um, last couple of years, and uh, and what's new, and so on. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so I guess you know we launched our first public offer 
uh, mid 2014, so August 2014. Uh, and since then, we've got. What was that? What was that first offer? I'm trying to remember. That was Renaissance Beer. Okay. So based out of Blenheim Craft Beer. Um, so that you, that went pretty well, didn't it? It did. I think uh, I'm trying to think back now, but it was probably something like two weeks to raise 700k. Um, which you know, and um, that that wasn't a bad result. First up, it was just important to get the first one funded, really, from from our perspective. And then, of course, you know, you hope the thing goes goes well and um, produces some returns for investors in time. Um, and what what was the um, what was what was the change at a at a government level that that enabled you to uh, to launch? Yeah, so it was really an overhaul of the financial uh, markets. Conduct bill, and so that allowed uh, companies to raise up to two million dollars from the public, um, and providing that company was raising the capital through a licensed uh, equity crowdfunding platform uh, for which Snowball Effect had a license, and um, they were able to to make that offer to the public. The alternative, if they did want to make an offer to the public, would be to go through a full prospectus process. So that's where a prospectus is produced. Um, it's incredibly detailed, incredibly time-consuming, expensive, um, and a lot of um, a lot of legal compliance information um, presented with that, which makes it quite a difficult proposition to read through to just get the crux of the story around what this company's yeah. doing and why is it raising capital. So yep. the whole thrust of it all was to really pair all that back um, and allow companies a, a far more efficient cost-effective way to raise capital mm. and, of course, allow Kiwis to be able to invest in companies and not have to go through a process of printing off PDFs and filling them in and going to your bank account and depositing some money into a lawyer's trust account and all that sort of thing, um, but to make that far more seamless. And so you're signing legal documents online. Um, in Snowball Effects case, we have a direct debit authority um, to your account yeah, I found that quite interesting. It was the first time for me when I used that mm. that I'd done a sort of online uh, direct debit process. Yes. And so it was a little bit of a surprise. Ken, my bank account number, pretty publicly available information. Um, then there was, a, I think there was an ID step which required a driver's license, Correct. if I recall correctly. So that's something, and it's another reason why I'm now very cautious around um, you know, when you know, I think I had it when I had to buy a car, there was another scenario recently. Someone's like, oh, I want a copy of your driver's license. And I said, no. <laughs> uh, but, you know, basically those, those two key bits of info and uh, and then the money disappeared out of my account and, you know, away it went. Yes. Um, but I, I loved how seamless that was and how, uh, you know, how frictionless it was to actually be able to go through that process. Yes. Uh, I think, you know, pretty fantastic actually. And compare that with uh, last week with um, with BNZ, where my two-factor uh, you know authentication token wasn't working, and you know they said, "Oh, we're going to send you this form, which you need to you know f- print out and scribble on and fill out and you know um, send back to us," which is like, "Yeah, you, know, you guys kidding? Is is this? Are you for real?" And it was, you know, just such a manual process. But uh, yeah, I think uh, that's definitely something you guys have, um, um, you know, I think got got right. And I'm sure, you know, probably it'd be interesting to know how much less you would have raised without that because it's just so frictionless. Yeah, and look, you know, the the whole purpose of 
why we're doing what we're doing is to make it frictionless because if you think about the capital markets in New Zealand um, and the process for direct investment in, into companies from investors, it hasn't really changed at all over over you know decades. Um, it hasn't moved at all. The, the process of uh, investing directly into companies, uh, a lot less opportunities than there probably used to be 20 years ago. Uh, the way brokers and investment banks work now is quite different and they're more focused on funds under management. Um, and look, you know, there are always people out there who will be known to be investors and have a profile, so they'll get past opportunities. But there's also a lot of people with um, you know, small amounts of money through to, to larger amounts of money who are keen to invest directly into businesses. So we want to make that process as simple as possible. Um, and I guess part of the, the technology that we're developing is actually identifying uh, investors and what it is that they want to invest in. Um, and that makes the process a lot quicker for companies as well. So rather than sort of the needle in the haystack, you know, who should I be talking to? Um, then we can directly identify people who are interested in the food and beverage space if they're a food and beverage company. Right. Uh, if they're a SaaS business, you know, who are the people that, that want to invest in SaaS? Um, not only the, the capital aspect, but also directors, uh, advisors and that sort of thing who may be keen to invest some cash, but also support that company with their expertise, their knowledge, because it's not just the capital ultimately that, that is required to, to grow a successful, valuable business. Mm. Well, you've had a you know, pretty good um, pretty good run in terms of um, you know companies that um, uh, that have been successful in raising funds. Have you had any that haven't sort of you know got to their their uh, targets? Yes. Yep. So I think I think four over the course of our two and a half years in operation. So this is with the the public offers. Mm. We've had four of those, and I think you know there were sort of lessons learned. Um, and I think it would be kind of unusual within a in a marketplace you had all the companies raising the capital, and that would kind of be a bit bizarre. And so you know you do want that element still of I think people making a judgment call, making an assessment of the prospects of that company, and uh, choosing to invest or not. So um, you know as I say, it is a marketplace, so so people can choose to to buy mm. shares or not buy shares. But you guys are reasonably picky, right, in terms of who you work with. So you're not. You know, you're not just going to work with anyone that says, "Yeah, we want to raise some money." Um, you, you know, you've got some hoops people jump through and so on before you'll actually go through that process with them, right? That's right. Um, you know, we we want this market to be successful, uh, and I think ultimately to be successful, uh, people need to make some money out of it. Um, we can't obviously pick which ones are, are the most likely to make money. That's all. Um, out there in the future and there's sort of nothing formulaic about that. But I guess what we're looking at for a, a public offer is we're making an assessment of, you know, do we think that the public and large will find this attractive to consider as an investment? Uh, and then I guess it's looking for reference points. So the sort of reference points we'd be looking for is, is there a, a quality board in place, you know, people that have reputations to lose? Um, then there's also other things like we'd be working um, either with people from within our own network or the company may have some themselves. Um, so lead investors is what we'd call them. So these are people that are anchoring around to say, hey, I'm going to put in some serious money here. And by doing that, they're sort of setting the terms of the round. So what's, what's the value of the company? Um, and what are some of the, um, the different aspects of the offer? 
um, that, that need to be to be locked down. So we look for a lead investor to, to do that and then other uh, investors can sort of pack in around him or her. Right. So if, if we've got anyone listening who's got, you know, they've got a startup of of some um, form, obviously, you know, there, there are varying ways of going out and getting funding. Mm. There's, there are varying, um, you know, crowdfunding platforms out there. But, you know, those things you mentioned obviously will come into play in terms of whether they're a, whether they're a fit for you. I mean, do you, do you work – do you tend to work with early stage companies, or have they got to be a fair way along in the process of you know launching product and so on to be uh, to be a fit? Yeah, so we generally are looking for companies that have got some sort of demonstrated traction. Hmm. Uh, so generally, that includes sales, uh, and you know companies that are sort of approaching probably a million dollars of revenue. Just with the work that we've done in terms of what investors want, uh, it tends to be. A lot more difficult for us to raise capital for you know I've got this idea and um, you know I'd like someone to, to put in some money I think that's you know probably easier done when you're having one-on-one conversations with people that could be interested in it um, but for a, a public offer we're looking for those more mature businesses just because mm. the risk return profile tends to be a bit better and they tend to uh, have some of those aspects that I talked about earlier in terms of you know governance and directors in place uh, and they've probably done a round or two of funding before. Not always the case, yeah. mm. um, but that can quite often be the case. And, and for us and, and the investors, that tends to be something that, that works quite well. And I think probably more importantly, it's where the opportunity, we believe, is in the capital markets in New Zealand. The angel space, which tends to deal with really early stage pre-revenue stuff, mm. um, You know, there's plenty of improvements that can be made there, but it's not too bad. Um, but it sort of posts that. Um, probably all the way up to to a listing, to be honest, in, in New Zealand, so a fairly broad part of the market or certainly mm. up to private equity. Uh, there's some, some gaps there. There's some improvement that needs to be made there. Yeah. Good. And so what's what have you been focusing on? Because um, I guess that's, that speaks to sort of what you've been doing since the beginning. Yes. What are what are the newest sort of things you, you've been working on over the, over the last little while? Sure. Yeah, a number of things. So first one is, um, because we started off with the public capital raises, it was a great way for us to promote what it was that we were doing and promote opportunities for, for companies and investors. Yep. Um, so over the last two and a half years, we've got a invest, an investor audience of about 12,500. Um, and once you kind of get a group of that size, you can start to split it up and do some interesting things with it. Uh, so what we have done, um, and I mentioned earlier on in the in the podcast about the different regulatory buckets that as a company you can raise capital. We talked about equity crowdfunding and the ability to raise from the public, uh, but not all companies necessarily want to raise from the public. They may you know, have commercial reasons for why they don't want to tell the world what it is that they're doing and financial forecasts and all that sort of thing. And so we recognize that. And so what we've done is split the database um, into what are known as wholesale investors. Mm. So these are people that either buy wealth or experience in investing, uh, meet some criteria, and they have the opportunity to invest in a greater range of products. It doesn't have to be presented through our platform to them for them to be able to invest. Mm. Uh, so generally those investors are writing larger check sizes. They may be more interested in getting involved with the business, i.e. they've got experience in building a business, um, successfully exiting uh, so we have companies that approach us that want to uh, get in contact with those investors. 
and I guess the interesting thing that what that we've done is set up an online process where people can go through and self-certify if they meet some of those criteria, and that flags them in our database. Um, and then the idea is that we talk to them, uh, understand what sort of investment preferences they they have. Do they want to be involved with companies? That all goes into our CRM, and that allows us to sort of filter and sort investors by what they want to to see and how they want to be involved. Um, so that's sort of been one interesting development. Mm. Um, we've created an investor profile where people can go through and actually tell us about themselves. And again, that sort of all drops into our into our CRM. Um, and then there's been some other aspects that we've we've launched as well. Probably sounds a bit mundane, but we've we've launched a share registry. So that simply is where information about the shares, i.e. your physical address as an investor, yep, um, the number of shares that you have. So if you've bought or sold more shares, mm. um, then that is all held, all the information, that transaction history is held within a share registry. Yeah, okay. So previously the, the problem that we had was all that share registry information was held by a third party. Mm. So it wasn't mm. a great experience for investors. And it was just another party that a company had to deal with in the process. Right. So we've actually so you've created something that's a reasonably light, you know, um, offering that sort of is a good fit for um, the companies that you're you're uh, helping raise funds primarily, or will you you be offering that you know broader for listed companies and so on as well? Yeah, we'll be offering it more broadly. Mm. I think. You know, first and foremost, we developed it to kind of solve one of our own problems. Mm, uh, mm. And as I say, make it a nicer experience for companies and investors. Uh, investors can now just access that registry through their investor profile on Snowball Effect, okay. um, which is pretty cool. Mm. Um, so it kind of keeps all the information in one place. But, mm. you know, the, the sheer registry problem is a challenge for companies. It is something by law that a company has to have. Yeah. Um, but a lot of companies don't or they're saved on a, you know, investor details are saved on a spreadsheet in a lawyer's office somewhere or something like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is around making that really simple for people, uh, for companies to access. Um, and we'll see where it goes. But, yeah, first and foremost, it was sort of around the stuff that we were already doing and making that better. Mm. And uh, I mean, you know, look, looking looking through uh, the list of campaigns that have been funded, there's obviously been, you know, mixed results with those. Do you, um, you know, how can you help people make uh, good decisions in terms of what they what they invest into? Do you, um, uh, you know, have any recommendations for people <laughs> that are uh, uh, maybe looking and thinking, oh yeah, we, we, you know, I think you've got an offer on here at the moment, design a wardrobe. Uh, an online fashion mar- fashion marketplace. Um, I mean, reason- re- reasonably hard, uh, you know, particularly for those that don't have a lot of invest- investing experience mm. to kind of, you know, probably know how some of these sort of things stack up. Uh, yes. It's, I mean, it's not a very easy thing to sort of weigh up compared to, you know, other other options in the market, is it? No, that's right. I think, you know, if, you know, if you're a first-time investor or just sort of thinking about it, and I guess one of the benefits of the public offers is that they tend to have a pretty low threshold for investment. Mm. You know, it tends to be one or two thousand dollars, and so it's not a heap of money that you're you're putting into these things. Um, you obviously have to remember that they're, they're high risk opportunities, mm. so you need to recognise that in terms of the amount that you're investing and 
be able to afford to lose that money or at least not see it again for a while. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they've got the opportunity to go there and ask questions. Mm. Um, so design a wardrobe that should be going live over the next two or three days. Mm. Um, so if people are having a look at that, there's jump on the Q&A and ask questions, see what other people are asking. Yep. Um, ask someone who you think may know a bit about the business and the opportunity that they're focused on. Um and just do your due diligence. And um, if you're uncomfortable or not sure, um, probably an idea to, to keep the, the money in your pocket. Um, but if you do decide to do it, you know, always a good idea, I think, to invest across you know, a range of different opportunities. So you're not just putting all your eggs in one basket. Mm. Um, we try to keep investors up to speed uh, in the companies that they may not have invested in. Um, we have an investor profile. Yeah. Uh, sorry, a um, a company profile or a company update. Okay. Uh, so people can go to that. They can just access it through the homepage, and they can kind of see a selection of the companies that have raised capital with us over the last two and a half years, and it's just kind of the bullet point information that's already been received by people that invested in it. Mm. So it mm. kind of gives you a bit of a if you read through it a bit of a sense of the portfolio and how some of those companies are tracking. So mm. you can see which ones are going well, which ones are sort of going not so well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Well, it's great to uh, great to get an update, and um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, if any of our listeners are uh, um, are looking to jump on on board the platform, be interested to hear about uh, hear about their experiences and uh, and and how that goes. Oh, it's been great to uh, great to catch up. Um, now, how do people track you down? Are you uh, are you accessible on uh, on social media or? Uh, what's the, what's the best way to reach you if if anyone wants to get in touch? Sure. Uh, well, if they want to get in touch with me, sort of uh, via social media channels, I'd say LinkedIn is probably the best way. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm there on, on LinkedIn and try to respond to to inbound messages. Yep. Um, yep. But uh, the probably the simplest way is just to email me, Simeon at snowballeffect.co.nz. Okay. Um, yep. You can go to the website. My email address and phone numbers on there. Yep. Um, so feel free to give me a call or flick me a text if if you're keen to chat. Find out a bit more. Um, about what we're doing, some of the bespoke uh, services that we're providing. Um, we're always keen to chat to people who are, want to be involved with companies, mm. um, even if it's not uh, a company that we're raising capital for. The more people we know, the more useful we can be to a broader range of companies. So that's certainly our aim. That's great. That's great. Well, um, thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening in. We will be back again with uh, another episode next week. Uh, you can track uh, me down um, on Facebook and, and Twitter and uh, and LinkedIn, uh, or f- feel free to join up for my mailing list at paulspain.com. All right. See you next week. Thanks. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.